Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down another week of Jersey Flag football as they march deep into the finals, as well as breaking down the happenings in the NRLW and the general NRL my good mates, 60s and Quint. Fellas, good to have you on board. And geez, those Jersey Flag boys, they're flying high. Well, John, if we can't have the NRL team flying the flag for the Eels in finals football, we can at least be looking to the Jersey Flag team because they are doing an outstanding job. I think they've won something like nine of their last 10 games, something like that in this late late season run. And uh, even though they didn't play their best match on the weekend, they got the victory, a finals victory. And it, yeah, as you say, it's preliminary final this week. So grand final qualifier, back out at Leichhardt Oval. Uh, can't wait to see it, mate. And Quentin, how have you been since we had the uh, chat last Tuesday, mate? Yeah, look, uh, it's it's all aboard the uh, Jersey flag train at the minute, isn't it? You know, great to see those boys going well, and, um, and hopefully they can keep it going. We we said last week the the uh, their biggest enemy and the biggest hurdle will be themselves, and it was a far from pretty victory that we'll get into very shortly against Cronulla, but they got the job done, and the season continues. And uh, before I hand the keys over to you, 60s, as always, a quick shout-out to the two sponsors of our show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellon, and Parramatta, helping us get you guys the podcast each and every episode. And now, let's talk some news. News team, assemble! Well, we were just touching on the Eels jersey flag team, so let's open up by talking very quickly about last week's victory over the Cronulla Sharks. It was a 20-6 to victory against the team, I think, that came in third place in the uh, regular rounds. Uh, that means the Eels have, uh, will this week be lining up against the minor premiers who went down to the Bulldogs last week. That's the, the Roosters, the opponents this week. Fellas, it was, uh, as as Clint just said, it wasn't a, a pretty victory. We had the team probably didn't exactly stick to the match plan, but they got the job done. And I think it was possibly a matter of winning the key moments that mattered throughout mm. the game without without dominating. Every time there was a big moment... Either the Eels came up with the right play or the Sharks couldn't come up with the right play. Um, what do you think? Fair call, John? Yeah. Um, it was a case of doing just enough, I suppose, and, and getting in our own way a fair bit throughout the course of this game. And, you know, Quentin mentioned it, but last week he spoke about how it felt like the only thing that could really stop the Parramatta Eels in this big run was themselves, and we saw that. Um, you know, Cronulla, they're a good team. Top four finishes, like you said, 60s, but... The Eels, even out of gear like they were, could handle them quite comfortably. And the only looks they really got were on the back of Parramatta errors. Yeah, absolutely. And 
clear, there was no shortage of uh, errors that were there. Uh, but uh, by the same token, the Sharks missed their opportunity, even from the kickoff. Like the mm, Eels was, had a sort mm. of shortish kickoff. The ball bounced awkwardly. The kick chases from the kickoff sort of ran past the ball. And then the Sharks found themselves strangely in open pastures and just and the what should have been the final pass around halfway for a try went astray, went over the sideline. I think you know, the Eels got lucky right from the kickoff there. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was gonna to touch on that moment off the kickoff and you know, um, anyone who's familiar with the work of um, Sam Stone Street in the lower grades, both uh, New South Wales Cup and flag for Cronulla, knows that he's an absolute flyer who would have finished that, uh, put the glasses down, um, champagne rugby league moment, and you know, which would have been an awful start. You know, I think that moment probably um, uh, uh, is, is a good indicator of the, the game that followed, is that, you know, there, there was... Um, a couple of little scares, but ultimately it didn't. Um, it didn't eventuate to anything. But you know, regardless of the boys being um, far from their best, they still controlled sixty percent of possession. And you know, um, Cronulla themselves they they they, they struggled to hold the ball e- even more. So I'm, I'm quite surprised the stat line for for our boys reached an eighty-two percent completion rate because I didn't quite feel that way. There were a lot of penalties, it. I think, that are yeah, would have completed sets in the Parramatta Reels. Yeah, and, and, and it, it probably skewed the stats as a result of uh, 40. But, um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is um, the, the, um, with that possession, they comfortably won the yardage game and, and um, you know, they're, they're forcing the, um, the Sharks to defend a, a further eight minutes more than, um, than themselves. And, you know, uh, holding the ball matters um, in all games of rugby, but even more so in finals footy mm-hmm. and, you know, um, winning winning those little moments and, and, and getting the tries uh, when it mattered ultimately proved the difference. Um, you know, I think we saw um, uh, in, in particular some um, really good efforts from players like Ethan Martin. He, he had a really great finish for his try. Um, you know, um, li- likewise, we saw a nice little move in the early exchanges to put um, Sam Lojao over. Um, you know, and... and, and um, a special shout out as well to um, to William Larcher. I know he, he he scored a try, but geez, there were some really big effort moments from him throughout the match that um, certainly won him some admirers as well. So, you know, um, far from pretty, but the job is the job was done, and um, now we move on to the minor premiers. And John, I really like the work of a couple of unsung heroes. Clint mentioned one just then in Will Latu. Um, big hits that he put on, the try that was scored. Uh, he and Brock Parker, I thought, were really outstanding in this match. Yeah, no doubt, 60s. Um, Brock's been you know, phenomenal all season. I think he's really found another gear uh, throughout 2023 and, and really catapulted himself into the long-term NRL picture. Uh, and Latu did himself the same sort of favours this week uh, just past, where it looked like he brought a sledgehammer onto the field, honestly. You know, he came out there and, and, and whacked them twice. We, we would have thought it was an assisted with a weapon. Like He knocked the ball out, knocked the player over. Huge turning points in the, the flow of the game there on two occasions. And you could just see the boys lift on the back of that. Um, so very well done to Will there. I think he's, he was one of the initial batch of Queensland recruits, wasn't he, 60s? We sort of, uh, I think we missed that when he, he first joined the club. But ahead of all the boys that were in the SG Ball this year that came from Queensland, Latu was here before, I think. Yeah, well, I tell you what, he's um, 
he certainly had an impact in that game. I, I spoke to him after the game uh, briefly, and uh, he's, you know, I gave him a, a bit of praise for the the way that he performed in the game and the big hits. And uh, he's a very humble bloke. That's all I'll say. I mean, he was. It was his attitude was well, you know, like they got some big boys in that Sharks team, and you know he had to do his bit to, uh, you know, to shut them down. So, uh, but they they were, you know, you're talking about a couple of hits that were real momentum changes as well. So, um, yeah, really impressed with that. And, and Clint also mentioned uh, Ethan Martin. There were two big moments that he had later in the game. I mean, he, he played a good game all round, but uh, there was one where there was a, a run off the line and he he gathered mm. the ball. I can't remember how many players he beat, but he got out past the 20-metre line and it was it was all heart, that particular run. He just was refusing to uh, be stopped. And then, of course, the try that he scored, it's... Um, I mean, we, we've seen a few tries already from him this year where you, you look at it and you go, well, probably only Ethan Martin scores that try. Mm. Just his pace and determination. So he's making people sit up and take notice. Um, again, another uh, Queensland product, although he is actually from New Zealand, his, um, he was in the Dolphins system from memory. Was he not, John? I believe up, so, up yeah. Until- yeah, I think there was he had an injury or something and was released out of the Dolphin system um, last year, I think. And then uh, he went and went and returned to rugby union for a little bit or something like that. I, I, anyway, we know that his his major background is rugby union, apart from um, being taken on as a bit of a project by the Dolphin system. This is before the Dolphins were in the NRL. It was it was part of their build up. And, and building up their pathways. So um, anyway, we move on and we'll come back to talk a little bit more about the flag team with Teamless Tuesday News and then also our previews. Fellas, the Eels NRLW loss to the Titans, I think it's pretty well locked in the spoon. I was yeah having a look yeah. at the draw and the table and there's um, a significant points differential You'd need between a massive whatever Cronulla the Eels. and the, yeah. the Cowboys yeah, so, to also yeah, cop a big, win, big loss. To, yep. Yeah, the Eels would have to win really big over the Sharks. I mean, let alone get a win over the Sharks, but win massively. And the Cows would have to lose big to the Roosters. Now, there is a potential for the Cows to lose big to the Roosters. But, you know, we're, we're probably asking a lot. Like, we'll be really happy if our Eels can get a win over the Sharks. And I think it's not impossible, but they can't be thinking about points differential. I think it's, unfortunately, we're probably heading towards the um, NRLW team uh, getting the spoon, probably even if they do win this weekend. So, um, uh, yeah, John, you, you have any thoughts from their performance last week? Yeah, I think that the wear and tear of week-in, week-out professional football is getting to a young team um, on top of the fact that they haven't been settled with their marquee players and we just got Kennedy back and no Elsie Albert for the remainder of the season, obviously. So, uh, you know, a lot of young players in there. They've done really well, uh, you know, individually, these uh, young girls. But, you know, the week-in, week-out week week football 
takes a toll. They've played some very good teams in the last two weeks in the Roosters and the Titans. Um, and yeah, I just, I just think that they'll be happy to be at the end of the tunnel. Um, but in saying that, I think they'd also really like to sign off with a win. Um, maybe get a bit of progress towards the uh, upcoming preseason, which will, I'm not sure when it'll start. It won't obviously start as early as the NRL, but you know, finish the season on a high, take a moral victory and, and use that moral victory for some momentum in the off-season. Clint, how important do you see their last performance of the season as being? It's And just for a bit of context, unfortunately the team's only won five games in total so far across their three seasons of the NRLW. Mm. Uh, uh, spiritually, it's, it's, it's important. Um, you know, particularly when you consider the way that they, um, they lost to the Titans. A 34-12 scoreline flattered them. Uh, I hate to say it, but it, it did flatter them. There was obviously some missed kicks there from the Titans, but some of the defensive efforts, there was some shirt grabbing. And, you know, when the season's post-mortem is done, and, and you, know, you, you touched on a point there, 60s that I was going to raise, you know, uh, we've got to remind ourselves, despite being grand finalists last year, um, we only just crept into the finals. And, um, you know, yeah, the team last year took a little while to get going and then found a little bit of fire towards um, the end of the season. But, you know, um, in the grander scheme of things, when, when we analyse those first three seasons, you know, we have to ask the question about where it is that we're, they, um, we really are. Um, for, the, for the girls going in this week, yet, as I said before, spiritually, um, emotionally, it'd be very important to get a win. Uh, likewise, I think it's worth noting, obviously, with the um, Harvey Norman Premiership team coming in next uh, season, how many of the girls from the, um, the NRLW squad will um, apply their trade in that competition leading into the NRLW next season? I think it would be important to try and get as many of them together yes. in that side as much as possible it's- to continue to build up some combinations. and It's essentially you know, a it's, proper preseason for them. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. it's, 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 it's the rehearsal, right? Yeah. So, um, so I think that'll be... I was just going to say, Clint, I think that's going to be the most significant factor for the Eels moving forward is having a Harvey Norman women's mm. uh, team where, as John said, it, it, it becomes like... A, a big part of their preparation for the upcoming NRLW season where, yeah, we, I mean, we've, we've wondered about the preseason prep for the Eels where we've just had a slow start. And really, when you look back on it, you've got teams that, um, uh, groups of players that have played together and not necessarily with the, uh, with a Harvey Norman uh, team that goes straight into an NRLW team, but they've had combinations that have been in the same mm. NRLW team, and I just think, yeah, it's it's going to be a huge piece of the puzzle for the Eels. The other thing that I'm concerned about, and it's been a concern that I've had across all of the season, is how how we respond to errors, because mm. the the, te- the team will make an error. And then what you what we tend to see is a sequence of defence where they're they're constantly backpedalling, and they can make an error on the in, in attack in the red zone, and the opponents will go the length of the field in that yeah. set. And it's almost like I don't know whether their heads go down and they lose focus in defence when it's turned over, the ball's turned over like that. But 
I don't know, I don't think it's my imagination that it's that it seems no. to be that a lot of those a lot of opponents tries come straight on the back of an error where we where we don't defend an error. No, I, I, I don't think it is your imagination, sixties. And you know, um, you would say something like that is quite symptomatic of a young, inexperienced side playing against more seasoned opponents. Um, you know, like we even think in the NRL, going back a, a few seasons now, when the um, the Broncos finished with the wooden spoon, that that was that was kind of the story of their season. They looked like they were doing something, they'd make a mistake, and then all of a sudden they conceded a try. Um, in the next set, and then back to back, following that, and then suddenly the game yeah. that they were they were looking competitive, it was completely blown away from them. You look to the Broncos now, and a lot of those players have become more um, seasoned and battle hardened, and and they're the ones inflicting that damage on their opponents. So, you know, um, the benefit of experience and and time in the top grade has obviously served them well, and hopefully a sign of things to come. Well, fellas, moving on now. Uh, and just before we get into Team List Tuesday, this time of year we're always dealing with plenty of signing rumours, and one of the rumours that had been flying around recently was that the Eels were pursuing uh, the Bull- Bulldogs' uh, outside back, Paul Alamotti. Well, we can put a red line through that one because he's now signed with the Penrith Panthers. It's a good career, man. So it's... Um, it, it's we're back to dog. square one with quite, rumors. Quite literally from the doghouse to the penthouse, eh? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's not a bad move as far as he's concerned. Um, interesting, too, that the the Bulldogs pick up uh, some Panthers players, but now they've got that um, movement going the other way. And it'll be interesting to see how he develops as a player at the Panthers because players very rarely go backwards once they... Head to Penrith. Mm. It's almost like what we would be used to seeing with the Storm. Uh, I guess that's what happens yeah. when you're a, a strong club that's really in the groove and understands their their identity, which you'd have to say that the the Panthers uh, do. Um, just quickly before um, that, um, just and just on the Panthers, uh, thoughts about their um, up the pars. Um, <laughs> Uh, the um, I mean, it was. It's probably not. It was probably something that's not much more than banter. But uh, I mean, you know, it's not something that should outrage anyone. But I don't know. Given that it's Penrith and their history of taunting teams that they defeat, do you think they should? Maybe. I mean, I guess their CEOs felt that it's it wasn't quite right. In you know pulling it from their media and apologising to the Warriors. But, I mean, should they pull their head in a bit or is this just part of their DNA and it's why they win? I think, and no disrespect to the Warriors, but including Penrith too, I think the whole thing's a bit cringy. The whole up the wires thing has been a bit of a, it was cute Mm. at first, but now it's kind of like, okay, like, okay. And now Penrith obviously... So you wouldn't have, if you were a Warriors supporter... You wouldn't have been over there with their, their set up with the TAB with the mystery tattoo. Stick the arm in the hole and get a mystery tattoo. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Up, up the wires never really took for me. Um, but, you know, more power to them for enjoying it. But it's very much um, on brand for Penrith, isn't it, to play the, the villain role here 
and uh, really embrace it. And I think that's part of what fuels that team. They are a lot. A lot of great teams have a need to generate adversity and you know hate and you know sort of even vitriol to a point because it fuels them and it feels like Penrith are really embracing that. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, like I said, bit cringy all around in my opinion. Yeah, Clint. I'm part of Switzerland on this one. I can see it from both sides. And, um, you know, uh, look, personally, I just think a lot of what they, um, I'm referring to the Panthers when I say this, is in um, is in poor taste. And I don't mean in the sense that it's, um, you know, I guess completely derogatory because, you know, there, there is room for you know, uh, banter in the game and, and, and certainly between the fans, but, you kind of don't want to be seeing it from the players and the, um, or certainly in this fashion, because th- there's a level of respect when you're both taking the, that same battlefield. And, um, you know, uh, they, <laughs> to, um, to Forty's point about, um, you know, wanting to uh, play the role of the villain, but then they subsequently want to claim um, tall poppy syndrome at the same time. Which we've heard their players That's say at um, different they, intervals across the past. You, you can't have it both ways. They do want it both ways, one hundred percent. Yeah, they love to get be able to have the last word. Essentially, you know, they want to be able to yeah, sleep. exactly. And you know, it's it's it, it's 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 um, akin to bullying. You know, that's 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 bullying and gaslighting if you look at it from that perspective. So, you know, I um I don't that, that, the reason it doesn't sit well with me ultimately is because of that. Um, you know, you, you can't be both. Uh, if you're the villain, go full villain and um, embrace the consequences of that. But don't then subsequently say that there's uh, tall poppy syndrome and other teams are jealous. So that's what it comes like. Like you created that lightning rod for yourself. That's what happens. But you know what? Um, I'm I'm prepared to put my hand up and say I wish we had the success that the Panthers did, and I'm envious of. Of their success, um, I don't hate them because they they have have their success. I'm not partial to our experiences that we have at Penrith Park as supporters uh, mm. because I believe that that there is nothing about that that's that's banter or or good relations there. Mm. I, I think they have a I think they have a serious crowd behaviour problem. For um, well, I don't know how many other supporters of other clubs have experienced what we've been through as eel supporters but i've never experienced anything like that in my um in my, all, all my decades of going to football to a whole lot of uh different home grounds it's uh it, it's certainly different i think it does stem from their feelings towards the eels but just back to this this particular matter uh, i don't i don't see too much in it uh, look I, they based it on a fan's uh work that he did with um um, the the scribe track, um, uh, the not many if any, and he, he put his own um, pars versus was bit together, which the club has then embraced with that particular social media post. I think it's best left as a fan thing because as a fan thing, you go, yeah, full marks, mate. You've done well with that. Mm. That's a bit of banter, right? That's a little bit of banter. You don't like to see the club beat an an opponent and then. And then do something like that. I, you know, that's probably it's not a, it's not something that you get outraged over. But you just go, yeah. Did you need to? Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. And I think the CEO, to be fair, I think he recognised that. Look, 
Mm. There's no need for that. We, you've, I mean, they just played a team without their their main weapon and got a victory over it. I don't think you need to gloat too much um, over that scenario. But you know, full marks, and they're they're heading towards another title. Jeez, mm. as I said, <laughs> would I like to be in their shoes? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Okay, so uh, just back to the Alamotti's off to the Panthers. Um, I don't know that there's too much that we've heard in terms of the Eels chasing anyone that's advanced in any way. I, I certainly haven't heard anything. I mean, we don't expect to hear anything out of the club, but you look to see if there's any sort of rumours floating around that leak from the players or from the club that they're at or from their families or friends or something like that. That tends to be how you tend to pick it up or or the player agent might might put it out there that his, his players talking to um, a particular club. But, fellas, I don't know. I haven't really heard too much apart from that. Anything that you've seen floating around on the on the forums at all, John? Yeah, there was a little bit of uh, not mail because it's, you know, just from an online forum. But uh, I think from a Sharks point of view, there was a bit of a chatter today that we're potentially poking around Connor Tracy. Um, Tracy, I think, is 27 this year, which was younger than I thought. Um, so obviously a super utility for the Sharks and capable of playing one through seven pretty much uh, and a very, very handy player in each of those roles. Um, wouldn't say no to him. Uh, but uh, again, I wouldn't say no to him, but I don't think he profiles to the sort of uh, X-factor player that would move Quentin Gufson out of fullback. So you'd be getting him as a you know centre utility, I would argue. Uh, from there. Yeah. Yeah. Clint, you're hearing any whispers from any forums or any mates or anything like that? Oh, look, n- nothing that's, um, that's concrete. It's, it's, it's just hearsay and, and speculation. You know, I've, I've heard Paul Mavoroski's name thrown around again. Um, you know, but I don't, I don't think there's necessarily any credibility behind that. I think that's just, um, you know, um, two plus two equals five type stuff. That's um, yeah. um, going on around as as people uh, tend to do at this time of year when they're they're not hearing anything. But you know, um, to that point, you know, it wasn't until today that we um, we knew that Paul Alamotti was going to go to Penrith. So you know, things and decisions can happen really quickly, and I'm sure there's conversations that are going on behind the scenes. We're just as the public not privy to it at this point in time. Um, and you know there might very well be some players that are, we're after or in talks with that is that are still playing or waiting for their seasons to officially finish. We'll we just have to wait and see at this point. Yep. Okay, John. I think we're now at the stage where we'll uh, look at team list Tuesday. I don't think from memory there's too much really to talk about with team list news. We'll probably. I mean, are we really at the stage where we just maybe just go straight into the previews because? It we, didn't look like there was any We could have done a changes. copy and paste from last week for both teams for differing reasons. Mm, okay. Uh, but the NRLW, yep, so yeah, no no changes there to their top 17. And then for the Jesse yep. Flake, no changes to their top uh, 21 or 22. Uh, I believe that Richard Penasini's dropped off the extended bench. Uh, aside from that, uh, they are as per program from last week. Okay, well, how about we'll, we'll just launch into the preview then. So if you can run through the... Um, We'll, we'll hit the flag first, if you mm-hmm. can run through the team list there, and then we'll we'll give our flag preview. Yeah, for those that have been keeping track of the Jersey flag and were watching the game last week via the stream or in person, 
Uh, they line up the same, which means Arpa Tweedle at fullback. On the wings, Matty Komalafi and Ethan Martin, the electric Ethan Martin. In the centres, Samuel Luizu and the outstanding Blaze Talangi. Looked a little bit like Joey Manu last week, climbing up and getting that bomb and then flicking it out to uh, Komalafi on his right. And then in the halves, Josh Lynn, Ethan Sanders, both very good. Uh, front row, speaking of very good, Brock Parker, Jonte Jr. and Bevan Mieser, uh, very good bookends there. Matty Arthur, an outstanding dummy half. Jock Brazel, captain of the team on the left edge. Max Tupo on the right. Nick Lenars is the lock forward. On the interchange, Charlie Geimer, Sam Torvaiti, Will Latu, he of the Sledgehammer, and then Noah Reed. Extended bench, Saxon Pryke, Lockie Blackburn, Araz Namva, and Lance for Lima. They're taking uh, place, or this game is taking place, on Saturday the 16th of September out at Leichhardt Oval. Uh, they're taking on the minor premiers, the Sydney Roosters, a team that they've actually split their last two results with. Uh, had a tough loss the first time and then uh, got them done uh, the second time. So this is going to be the uh, series sort of uh, decider across the course of 2023 <laughs> for them and uh, the winner getting to punch a ticket to the grand final. Yeah, so uh, just with that, um, the Roosters, I, I, I mean, they got they got belted by the the Bulldogs last week, didn't they? Yeah, the Jersey flag is a difficult um, competition to understand sometimes. Uh, the, the Roosters looked almost untouchable for the most, like the vast majority of the season, and then they got absolutely done up by the Bulldogs, who are a good team, uh, but I would have said we're a good team, not a great team for most of the season, and suddenly they're yeah, they found that gear. So what what are you expecting to see this week, Clint? Are we are we going to see um, you know, pretty much Parramatta, uh, Jersey flag, Eels team 101, the the formula that has been successful for them. Um, they obviously got a, a strong pack. Um, the spine are outstanding. Uh, they've created opportunities for the outside backs. Um, it, it, I mean, it's it's just pretty good quality rugby league, isn't it? Like there's mm. they're they're really playing, um, you know, if you take out the mistake side of it, what they try to construct is just really good rugby league. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're looking hopefully con- to continue that this weekend. Um, just less the errors that we, sh- we saw against the Sharks and you know, p- probably a little bit more controlled defensively. I mean, this Rooster side will certainly ask a lot more questions of the defensive line than what um, uh, Cronulla or um, Penrith have in um, in the previous fortnight. Um, so, you know, th- 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 there's going to have to be, I mean, rugby league is a game that's played both sides of the ball, but for our boys, um, uh, even more so, and especially so this weekend. So, you know, they were um, they were the best team for, for the better part of this year, the Roosters, and, you know, they'll be keen to make amends for, uh, for, for missing out on a, a pass straight through the grand final. So, you know, this will this will be a tough contest for the boys, but you know that there is also um, to the point that we've been echoing the past couple of weeks. They're only real hurdles themselves, and um, you know if if they turn up and they they keep that um, you know, they, they they keep control throughout the middle third and and um, and uh, earn the right to use the football and play some footy, then they should be strong enough to to overcome their opponents. And John, we got a familiar face in the Roosters team. And Caleb Toey mm. at lock for the Roosters. He's a former Eels player who went and spent last season down with the Raiders. And uh, he now returns to Sydney, but he returns via the Sydney Roosters. 
He had a very strong game uh, at the uh, in the match up at St Mary's that the roost where the Roosters were victorious. They their forwards were really impressive that day, but it was a it was one of the highest quality matches that I'd seen uh, up to that point of the season, and I thought the Eels were a little bit unlucky on that day. Not so much, maybe unlucky is the wrong word, but uh, it was one of those games where a couple of errors were costly. And then the return match at, at Ringrose Park, my goodness, that was that was probably the Eels' best performance of the season. And bizarrely, it came with uh, say, a number of the Eels' best that were elevated to New South Wales Cup that particular Yeah, we, we almost had a so, game... Just get our pencil down as a loss, didn't we? In a, in a must-win mm. clash, saying that they, you know, fair play to the club, they were prioritising senior development over you know going further in the flag. Uh, but you know, to the boys' credit, they just rallied magnificently in that game and got the job done. And and that was what really carried them into the finals and gave them the chance to beat both the Panthers and the Sharks. Then, so yeah, that was a very very big one. And yeah, I mean, good to see Caleb doing well. I've always had plenty of time for him and. You know, seeing him go to the Raiders uh, year before uh, was, you know, frustrating. But uh, good to see him doing well at the Roosters. Do hope he has a shocker on Saturday. Uh, but that's that's <laughs> nothing nothing personal against Caleb. That's uh, purely with the blonde gold specs on. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, this is going to be a great one. And you can catch it uh, via three ways. You can obviously be there live in person out at Leichhardt Oval. There'll be a New South Wales Rugby League TV live stream on Facebook. And on TCT, we'll have the live updates. Yeah, well, uh, we're certainly planning to be there at Leichhardt Oval uh, this week. Um, and hopefully we get through that because the grand final is at Combank Stadium the following weekend. You've got to make the final then, right? Sure. You're like getting the home field advantage yeah, yeah. for a Jersey Fleet final. Uh, incredibly, uh, incredibly rare privilege. And, uh, yeah, this, this team certainly has the potential to do it. And, I know Penrith last year won the ball and flag as well as the other two titles, Cup and the most important one, Premiership in the NRL. Um, but looking at the teams that Penrith ran out in the ball and flag that uh, that season, the way the Eels constructed this season, I think they'll essentially have double the amount of ball players contributing to the like the prospective Premiership should they get there. So very, uh, very cool if they can get it done. Yeah, absolutely true. And uh, just on the... The Eels' performance in the uh, in that uh, return game at, at Ringrose, it it, it would have been the end of the season for the Eels had they lost that. I mean, that's how critical that win was without a number of star players. But they got the job done. They got it. They got it done impressively, and that kept their season alive. And of course, as we know. They had to have things go their way in the final round because they needed they needed the Raiders to beat the Storm to upset the Storm in the uh, other match. Plus, they <laughs> needed to beat oh the Panthers God. themselves. That, so, the, that that for those that weren't playing along at home, the absolute chaos because our game finished before the Melbourne Canberra game, and we were scoreboard watching on the app and seeing the the score scorers get it wrong. And credit the uh, the storm with the try, and we was going on, <laughs> on no, it was hand in heads like you know actual funeral sort of uh, uh, atmosphere. And then you refresh the page, like oh my god, they got it wrong, they got it wrong. You know the the, the Raiders scored, 
so yeah, crazy. When you when you look back and maybe they win the premiership and you know we all get to go crazy there. And you, but you look back at that one moment where they did their end of the deal, but you know had to rely on a huge, not a huge upset, but because uh, the Raiders were you know in terms of the competition ladder close to the both the Eels and the Storm, uh, but a, a huge upset in the context of travelling down to Melbourne and winning that game. Yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. And for those who hadn't seen the footage of what happened at the end of that game, it was uh, in all. It was sixteen all after the Raiders had led sixteen nil at half time from memory, wasn't it, John? It was, they were up sixteen nil. They were up sixteen nil. We were down, I think, twelve nil, ten nil, I think. So the sort of the the yeah. two the two results are going entirely the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> we stormed back in the second half. Well, you know, Penrith couldn't touch us, and then we were looking at the thing like, "On oh, no, the Storm are back, sixteen four, sixteen ten, sixteen six, uh, sorry, sixteen all, sorry, they didn't lose points, uh, but no, yeah, it was it was going yeah, the like right into the the sort of territory of heartbreak, and then you know at the end where it looked like they'd managed to break our hearts, and then there was a scorer's error, so yeah, what a crazy yeah, ride at last been. play. That last play, as I said, if people hadn't seen it, so there's like about 90 seconds left in the game and the Raiders had set for a field goal. Now, what everyone has to remember is that the result was a matter of pride for the Raiders in that game. Mm. So the Raiders were desperate. They they wouldn't have had the same level of desperation. It was, it was a matter of pride. It would have been a win that they would have enjoyed. Uh, but if it had played out as a draw, as a 16-all draw, that would have also been good enough for the Storm. Yep. Um, and you would have thought, you know, like, are the, are the Raiders going to be desperate for a win or are they going to be happy with the draw as well? Anyway, comes back, they set up for the field goal. The Storm sort of get out and thwart them being able to take a field goal. So the play heads right of the posts and there's a grubber kick that's put in towards the corner. And it evades all of the players and one of the Raiders chasers managed to get his hand on the ball. I would suggest maybe half a meter from uh, the corner of the, of the in goal. So for half a meter in from the sideline, half a meter from the dead ball line <laughs> and he gets his hand onto the ball. And That's I'm sure that the, yeah, like the the footy gods were very very kind to the eels in in that particular match. You'd have to say so. Okay, it's time for our predictions, fellas. So we want the score, we want the first try scorer for the eels, and we want the best on field. Uh, Clint, you go first. Ooh, I think it, I think this will be a tight one. Uh, the Roosters are a good attacking outfit, but I still see our boys prevailing. Uh, I'm going to say 26-18. My first try scorer, uh, I'm going to go a little bit left of centre here. I'm going to back our 5'8", Josh Lynn. Um, And our man of the match, uh, I'm going to back his halves partner, Ethan Sanders, to kick us home to victory. Okay, John? Yeah, I'll go Parramatta to win 28-20. First try scorer, Blaze Talungi, who will also be right in the mix for Man the Match, but I will go. I will go. How about Jock Brazel, Man the Match? Big game from the captain. Okay. Well, 
I'm going to go for a 34 to 20 victory for the Eels. I think we've got the points in us. And uh, if we can restrict the opposition to 20 or less, it pretty much would guarantee a win. Um, I see first try score. Oh, you know what? I think we're going to hit an edge. Um, it could be... Uh, um, yeah, look, I'm going to go for Jock Brazzle to be the first try scorer. And uh, best on field, I reckon Budzi Arthur will have a big one in this. So I'll I'll take him for best on field in the game. Okay, fellas, we now move to the NRLW. John, can you take us through the team list there? I don't think we've got any changes. So. No, no changes, which means, as uh, per the program last week against the Titans, Church at fullback, Faye and Hunt on the wings, Tui and Toei Hiku, the young centre pairing. In the halves, it's Pahuka Berryman Duff and Rachel Pearson, the captain or co-captain now, Kennedy Cherrington's back. Uh, you got O'Neill and Amiatu in the front row with Ruben Cherrington at dummy half. In the back row, Amelia Murphy, Mahalia Murphy and the aforementioned Kennedy Cherrington. On the bench, Tanika Todd-Hunter, Noraria Kapoor, Ruby Jean Kennard-Ellis and Jade Vanua, extended roster, Davis Welsh, Donovan Jones, Simon and Payakau. They're taking on the Cronulla Sharks out at GIO Stadium. This is a Parramatta home game, one of the two home games that they had to take to our very Western Sydney venues in Cogra and Canberra. And yeah, um, looking to finish the season with the win, uh, potentially dodging that wooden spoon, like you said, 60s with a, a big win and then a big loss to the Cowboys in those two matches. I don't think that has to be in their minds at all. You get the wooden spoon, you cop it, you own it, and uh, look for getting the win uh, in this game by any other means. Now, there are a number of very familiar faces in this Cronulla Sharks team, mate. Yeah, I think I count, uh, depending on, uh, I'm not sure if it was like a name change, but I counted um, six former Eels there. Uh, Penatani, uh, Preston, Johnston, uh, Foliaki, Naitokatoka, Anderson, um, Harada Butler. Yep. That's that's not Rima Butler, is it? She's at Newcastle, wasn't she? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that that wasn't like a, another name for Rima. So if that's the case, we got six eels in the top seventeen. Maddie Stutton, um, also in the extended roster there, and uh, Fatafehi Hanisi, who I believe is the sister of Philomena, who was an eel, but Fatafehi wasn't herself. She wasn't graded as a Parramatta eel. So lots of blue and gold in the uh, sky blue, white and black of the Sharks there. And it could add a little bit of spice to this one, boys. I don't know if it's going to lead to some confrontations, but we know that Kennedy certainly won't back down from any uh, extracurriculars that have been uh, doled out in this game. And, yeah, <laughs> I wonder if there'll be just a little bit of feeling here. Yeah, uh, I mean, what's your thoughts about Clint about Tonegato playing at five eight rather than at fullback. Um, yeah, look, it's it's a funny one because um, you know Cronulla are in a uh, in the NRLW in a position that some NRL teams are. You know, I, I think of someone like the Titans in this instance where they've got um, two grade capable fullbacks in their squad and they're trying to make them both work. Um, you know, that being um, for, for the Cronulla side, Jada Taylor and Emma Tonegato. But um, you know, um, it'll be interesting to see what, what that does. Obviously, they're trying to get their, their best runners um, uh, handling the ball as much as possible and getting as many touches as possible. And, you know, it, 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 for, for some teams, it does work. For other teams, it's, um, 
it creates disharmony and, and, and a disjointed attacking line. How it unfolds, I don't know, but uh, it, it is something of interest to note. Um, you know, and given um, the challenges our girls have had defensively, and um, you know, I touched on before in the previous performance against the Titans, there was there's definitely some some um, poor efforts there. Uh, you know, I, I'd say that puts our defensive line on high alert that she's there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John, how do you see this match playing out? Yeah, I think we enter in as um, underdogs between the, the fact that you know, we're running with one win in the season and it's not a home game for us, so there is no venue advantage. Um, in saying that, there is a lot of talent in this team. Uh, I think that the wheels have fallen off a little bit in the last two weeks, taking on uh, one of the two best teams in competition in the Roosters and then one of the most improved teams in the competition, the Titans, who are you know, going to go to the finals as well. So uh, you mentioned it before, but they've got to stop getting inside their own heads of these errors. You know, if you make the mistake, aim up. Don't drop your heads. Um, they need to stop arm grabbing. They need to show a bit of line speed, a bit of physicality. Uh, it's, it's one game left in the season. You know, you've got nothing left to hold back. Um, you know, go out there and play some good football. So, you know, go out there, get the ball to Toi Hiku, get the ball to Zoe Faye, you know, get uh, Tyler Amiatu involved in some different looks, not just running north-south, but get Ruben Cherrington to turn her back inside under the ruck and, you know, try and isolate defenders inside the red zone. Um, but, yeah, uh, the Sharks are going to be pretty solid. Uh, I think they're a good team, not a great team, but a good team. And, yeah, I, I think there will be a little bit of feeling in this one just because of the amount of ex-eels across the, uh, the Sharks lineup. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Um, I feel like we've got a couple of girls that love to play with their hair on fire in, in Kennedy in particular, but also her sister Ruben. Um, we've got a few girls that seem to be a little, a little bit more passive in that regard, so that could either put them out of the game or maybe it could be a, an ignition catalyst for them. So, I don't know. Just the, all I want to see them is go out there and, and play hard for the full duration of this game because they've got nothing else uh, left in the season. Finish on a, on a yeah. high, set yourselves up in 2024. Clint, anything to add? Only that I can echo um, 40 sentiments there, you know, when when um, it's, it's your last match of the season and there's uh, not, literally nothing else there to lose, you, you go for it, you know, and, and you try and create some momentum um, to take with you into in, into the next season. You know, the, that's what the men's side did with a, a very comprehensive victory, an unexpected victory of the Panthers. Um, hopefully the girls can do the same this weekend. Yeah, so, well, as for me, I'm just hoping that we can get the errors cut down. I mean, it's, I don't know that we're, I mean, it's far too late in the season, I think, that we can expect that um, the, the defence is going to change too much. We just haven't defended well enough all season and certainly haven't defended well off the errors. So the first step is... Um, turn the ball over on our terms, mm -hmm. which means, you know, a, a kick into the corner, uh, a bit of defensive pressure, making it hard for an opposition team to get off the line rather than allowing them to get on the front foot really quickly off an error. And I think that's going to go a long way towards um, giving the Eels a better chance of taking victory. I, I think that they, they can find a victory against the Sharks as opponents. I, I I looked at their uh, form against the Dragons last week and I wouldn't say it was anything to write home about at all. Um, it, I don't know that it was a particularly high standard game. Um, it, it had its exciting moments, but 
it, it also had some ordinary moments. So I think that a win is possible. Um, so I guess now we talk about our predictions, John. So scoreline, uh, first try scorer for the Eels and best on field. Yeah, look, I think if we win, it'll be tight. Um, so I'll go 24-22. First try scorer, Tyler Amiatu, best on field. Uh, again, with my Blaze telling prediction, I think that Tyler will probably be right in the running for it. Uh, but I will go for best on field with, well, she's, she's been the best player for the Eels all season, so I'll go Cassie Toei Hiku. Okay, Clint. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, channel all my positive energy in this one. I'm going to say that there will be a tight Eels victory of uh, twenty six to twenty four. Um, I'm going to say Rachel Pearson, player of the match, and like John, I'm backing Cassie Toihiku to be the first try scorer. Okay, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with an Eels victory. I think it is possible, um, and I think for um, for the Eels, I think that it will be um, Kennedy Cherrington as the best on field in an eighteen sixteen victory, and first try scorer. I'm gonna go for that uh, Pearson Hunt combination, and uh, and see. Uh, Kimberly Hunt scoring off a, a Rachel Pearson kick. Okay, that now brings us to NRL news. So anyone, if you'd like to put us on pause and go and grab a coffee, now would be a good point. We're probably a little bit past halfway. We haven't got quite as many things to discuss in the NRL news and NRLW news. Okay, I imagine you've got your coffee and you're ready to go now. So... Uh, let's start off by um, talking about the NRL purchasing property next to Shark Park. Fellas, it's what the the NRL closely aligning themselves with the Sharks here. Is that a is that a take we can have there? I mean, we know that they the the NRL are looking at. Um, establishing a property portfolio and uh, looking at diversifying um, their income stream at uh, protecting their future with assets. But the article today with that also said that Volandis was all in with helping the, the Sharks to secure funding for a centre of excellence and... Stadium upgrade, and we do have a point of difference to discuss when it comes to the NRL involvement with a stadium upgrade at Shark Park. Clint, I'll let you lead off here. Yeah, uh, there's a bit going on with this one, isn't there? Um, I, I found it a little bit strange seeing this news break today. You know, obviously encourage the NRL to diversify their asset to um, ensure the longevity and the financial security of the game because the fact of the matter is through the um, uh, media deal that the NRL signs with the respective um, media agencies that televise and broadcast the game, um, that's where a lot of the revenue for uh, NRL clubs comes from. So diversifying their assets and creating um, other financial 
um, or I guess, sorry, other streams of income is incredibly important for the organization to do because it means that they're not, they're not reliant on any one given source of, um, of funding. Um, that being said, um, very interesting that the, the sharks is one of the intellectual properties, I guess, of the NRL, um, uh, now have, um, uh, I'm going to use the, um, the term here loosely, but, um, uh, whether you want to call them, um, father or, or, or big brother coming in and, and, and buying an asset right next door to their stadium. And then likewise, um, Volandi's comments around, um, potential, um, uh, funding of an upgrade there, which, you know, we noted last week in the conversation when we were talking about, um, fans, um, being shut out from the sharks roosters semi by virtue of the, uh, 13,000, um, capacity shark park ground, um, hosting a semi-final over the Sydney football stadium, um, that is privately owned. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of money that's been flying around, um, for the better part of the last two to three years through the, um, New South Wales, um, office of sports center of excellent funding and, um, uh, matching of money, um, um, for projects around a number of clubs. The Eels are a club who um, were approved in that and, and are currently building their centre of excellence out at um, Kellyville Park. Um, clubs like the Tigers, also, um, I believe the the Dragons are a club at the moment who are still to build theirs um, uh, down in uh, the University of Wollongong. Um, you know, we've, we've seen the Roosters as, as, as a part of um, their um, stadium deal. Which is a government was a government owned asset at Moore Park. Um, get a centre of excellence built into that. Likewise, we've got uh, the Rabbitohs who earlier this year opened up their centre of excellence at Heffron Park through that program. Um, but again, noting that all of these assets were um, community slash government owned at some point. You got the Sharks, who are one of two NRL clubs, um, the other being the Dolphins, that privately own their stadium. So. You know, you, you, you got to wonder if this is maybe like a manly sort of deal in which they look to build a grandstand, um, a center of excellence into a grandstand build at the stadium. You know, you can kind of make a case for that, I guess, um, grant, uh, given that the center of excellence funding um, scheme only, uh, you have to be um, part of a national sporting organization, which obviously the NRL is, um, and, um, and that qualified, but it's also worth noting that there was two rounds of that funding and, and, and the, um, the opportunity to provide a submission for the second round of funding ceased at the beginning of this year. So, you know, they would have to, uh, the NRL would have to be doing some serious lobbying if these are the strings that are attached to this deal. And, um, likewise, if this is also a, a, a part of the, the, the greater plan they have down there and, and why they acquired the hotel in the first place. So, you know, there, there might be two things here at play and, and, and you know, um, the stories being conveniently connected and joined together here. I suspect that that's likely the case. But if this is sort of a conditional purpose and that it's being used as leverage to try and do some things around the box, well, you know, um, you have to ask the question of whether the Sharks are getting an unfair benefit here and um, trying to uh, uh, enter through the back door per se. Well, I don't have a problem with the NRL lobbying the government for funding for a centre of excellence for the Sharks because other teams have been able uh, to get that. And I think that's that's perfectly fine. Where I have an issue is that the Sharks home ground, Shark Park or whatever sponsor name it has, 
is owned by the Sharks. Now, look, full credit to them historically that they own their own ground. They have an asset that other clubs have either not had the foresight or the opportunity to um, to have, and uh, they deserve credit for that. However, they they can't go cap in hand for public money, government money, to pump into a privately owned asset for which they would get the revenue. So when there when there is matches that are that are held there, they don't have stadium leasing costs involved in that. If they stage concerts at Shark Park, if they host other sports events as a result of an upgrade, the money goes to the Sharks. They own the ground. It is their asset. If there is a couple of hundred million spent on a ground there, that is handing over a couple of hundred million to the Sharks organisation. It's it's something that's not done with other clubs. The other clubs that have re- that have benefited from a stadium upgrade don't own their ground. They are a council asset or a government owned asset. So the way that I see it, and and John, I'll, I'll come to you for your thoughts on this. I I see that the only way that the NRL can get involved with lobbying for ground improvements to Shark Park is if either A, it involves the government buying the ground and spending money so it becomes a public asset and in which case, obviously, it's it's right there next to the Sharks um, League's club and it's in their their spiritual home, so they still benefit there. Um, if and they would get the money for the for the purchase of the land and the stadium as it as it currently exists, or the NRL does the same. The NRL buys the ground and upgrades it themselves. Now they haven't got the funds to do that, so we know that's not going to happen. All right, John. Is there any? Am I am I too harsh in this opinion? No, it's an awkward situation for the Cronulla Sharks. Uh, in that owning their own stadium is also a curse as much as it is a blessing because there is no incentive for the state government or the federal government to chip in and upgrade the stadium because it's not going to, uh, you know, it's not helping a community resource uh, become better. Uh, you know, Combank Stadium is the home of the Parramatta Reels, but it's also the home of uh, the Wanderers, Rugby Union, uh, all sorts of our local grade football. You know, the Jersey flag we just mentioned, they're going to be playing a grand final out of Combank Stadium. That's not NRL. I know it is connected to NRL, but it's not strictly speaking NRL. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens. No, they'll be they'll be they'll be hiring the venue. Yeah, exactly. So, so uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens with these facilities and these upgrades uh, by virtue of them being uh, a state or federal property or whatever body you know the entity or body that uh, stadium. It's like a what is the the thing? It's like a there's a stadium's co- uh, corporational body that looks after them. Um, but yeah, that, that's a huge, you know, uh, plus for the government and and the body controlling it to upgrade it for those sort of things, and that's why the sharks find themselves in a very precarious position. Um, 
yeah, and I, I don't know what their like their course of action is from here. Um, I don't. The NRL can't sponsor the upgrades because once you do that, you're gonna you're gonna have you know all seven other seventeen. How many clubs are at now? Sixteen, seventeen. So all the other 16, oh, 16 other, clubs, 16 other yeah. clubs coming, knocking on the door saying, hang on, what about us? You know, we've got more fans to, to serve because Cronulla, they might not, might not like hearing, but they're one of the smaller teams. You know, they've got a smaller fan base. They're, they're, there's a reason why their name is always up as one of the relocation candidates, right? Um, yeah, so if you're looking after Cronulla, then why aren't you looking after all these other places? So I don't know. Um, it, it is odd that the, the government, the government, the NRL, Picked a Cronulla-based investment property first, but maybe we're reading too much into it. Yeah, well, I don't think we'll be reading too much into it if it's if they get involved with um, getting a stadium upgrade and and um, public funding is used for private a private upgrade. I don't think anyone will be happy with that. Now, Clint, you've got some breaking news that you uh, and this is completely off our run sheet for tonight, but it's it's literally just come through as we're recording. Can you take us through some of this, this breaking news? Yeah, a, a, a story that's been broken by um, Michael Chamis from the Sydney Morning Herald uh, highlights that um, a, the last right of negotiation clause, or better known as the 10-day cooling off period, is set to return to uh, player contract negotiations. And I'm just going to take our listeners through exactly what that means. But Every player must provide his incumbent club with the last right of negotiation for a 10-day period from the day of notice that the player has received an offer from a rival club. And that offer has been submitted to the NRL that he is prepared to accept it. And in order to give effect to this clause, A, the player must provide notice to his incumbent club that the offer he has an offer that he will accept in 10 days' time, subject to negotiations with his incumbent club. B, the club can then engage in contract negotiations with the player for a period for up to 10 days, or the club may waive its rights in writing, um, at which point the player is free to sign with the rival club. C, the offer from the rival NRL club must be an official offer and submitted to the NRL salary cap auditor, um, the contents of which will remain confidential, but the NRL salary cap auditor can provide verification to the incumbent club that an offer has been received. Uh, that offer must remain open for acceptance for a minimum of 14 days or for at least 48 hours beyond the expiry of the 10-day negotiation period with the incumbent club and that there is no requirement for the player to disclose the terms of that offer to his incumbent club. And D, at the expiry of the 10 days, the player may sign or reject the offer from the rival club. Um, gents, I know I threw a lot out there and, 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 and listeners, I hope you're able to keep up with that, but Geez, this sounds like um, we're opening Pandora's box here again. And, you know, everyone would probably remember the infamous negotiation of Daly Terry Evans um, going to or accepting a t um, an offer to go to the Gold Coast Titans only to renege on that offer and accept the $10 million lifetime contract with Manly. Also ourselves, uh, I think it was back in 2013 when Ricky Stewart was coach of the Eels, uh, Josh Papali'i agreeing to terms and then, Utilizing the ten-day cooling off pyramid to pull out a uh, period to pull out of his deal with Parramatta, um, uh, are we are we opening Pandora's box and giving a bit too much um, power back to player agents here? Uh, I think we we always have an issue when there is power that's exercised by player agents. Um, do I have a problem with the formality of the contracts? 
Probably in this instance, no, but there is there was one part that I was interested in, which was receipt the receipt of the offer by the salary cap auditor. Now, yeah. is that a change? Is that a change? And if so, does that mean that the auditor has to verify that the offer is above board and is within and keeps the um, the club who's made the offer that they have stayed within the salary cap in making such an offer? Um, and in which case is that um, if and I would I'd love it if that was the case because I'm sick of clubs that go ahead and sign uh, players mm-hmm. on inflated contracts that are above their salary cap and their main goal being, okay, we just want to get this person on board, then we'll work out the details of who we have to release um, in order to keep them. Yeah, I'd be very, and, very interested. To, not that we'd ever would, but the what were the motivations behind this change? Like you said, it feels like this might be as much a, a chance to maybe address some clubs complaining about not you know, being able to match offers fairly and some agents going behind their backs and signing players before uh, they had a chance to officially, uh, well, make going behind their backs, make contracts a few before they had a proper chance to, you know, uh, give a counter offer. I feel like that might also be a response to some skullduggery going on for these um, dodgy offers and, like you said, sort of uh, dealing with cap fallout later. Um, so yeah, very, yeah. very, very interested to see if we hear any more about that because this feels like it's addressing multiple uh, issues, not just the one where usually it's you know players complaining or clubs complaining about not being able to have a right of last reply which is definitely something here. But yeah, the, the fact that that was mentioned feels like there was a point of emphasis there. Yeah. Uh, so Clint, yes, it could be a Pandora's box, but I think it's it's a case of the devil's in the detail. Mm. And if we get more detail, and if we get more detail um, that we can uh, put our teeth into, such as what is the involvement of the salary cap auditor, um, I think that may well be if the salary cap auditor is looking at the legitimacy and the and the compliance of clubs in their offers, keeping them within the salary cap, then I'm all for it. Um, anyway, we move on. Um, fellas, I wanted to touch quickly on the NRLW finalists, which they're almost close to being determined now. It all depends on a couple of matches and uh, primarily... Um, the Raiders match with the Titans. If the Titans win that, the Titans um, stay in the eight, uh, stay in the top four, sorry, and the Raiders miss out. Now, if that does transpire, that means that none of the new franchises will qualify for finals football. And I think we pretty much thought that that would be the case at the start of the season. Um, we may not have got the clubs correct, that we're going to qualify because we, I think we were hoping that the Eels were going to be and maybe thought that the Eels would qualify for finals football. That hasn't, that hasn't panned out, uh, but we have got the, the current premiers in the Knights. We've got the Roosters, the Broncos, and at this stage, the Titans being in the, uh, in the top four. So, um, I mean, is any any thoughts there? I mean, is it is it just simply being that the that the established clubs have had that uh, greater, even though there's been a lot of turnover of uh, of uh, rosters, that they've had the advantage of being an established club? 
in the NRLW. Yeah, I think uh, the expansion clubs probably recruited better this time around than the last batch, which was us, Newcastle, um, and that, and I know that Newcastle would go on to win a premiership in their sec third. Was it third season? Second, second season. Second season. Second. Sorry. Uh, but initially they struggled, but they had big recruits in the year, in the same year, but the season after, uh, with Millie Boyle and Tamika Upton, I think, coming on board in that uh, second wave. Uh, so they did really well there. But I feel like Cronulla and Canberra were very well put together rosters. Cronulla obviously benefiting from having a New South Wales uh, Rugby League having a women's premiership team, um, and, and Canberra just recruiting really well. And I don't think the Cowboys are, are that bad either. So I don't think it's a knock on the way they went around, went about doing things. I just think that at the very top end of town, um, there are some very good teams. Obviously, the Newcastle Knights are looking to run it back, and they're looking not un, not unbeatable, but they did knock off the Roosters just then, and they're a very good squad. And the Roosters themselves are just a crazy squad, as we've talked about before. Um, so yeah, I think just the top of town is very heavy in the NRLW, and uh, yeah, the other teams there's a lot of haves and have-nots in general, not just for the expansion teams. Yeah, well, I wanted to now touch on the standard of the NRLW, so I want to come to you, um, Clint, with this one. What did you think of the standard of finals football in week one? For for the men's, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, the well, um, the game on Sunday was probably a little bit of a save face for the NRL, um, given um, that it was a close tight encounter with a with a lot of drama, a lot of things that happened in that game. And as a, as a neutral fan, it was a good spectacle. But at the same time, the two sides that were playing, and I know Newcastle's been on a hot streak, so I might not win myself any favours with Newcastle supporters here when I say this, but I didn't think either team played overly well in that game. It was mm. just a highly competitive, entertaining game that was, um, that was a good watch for a neutral. Um, the other three games, the, the, result, the results felt like they were always coming. And look, I... I know that the um, the Roosters only won by one point, but geez, that was a dour affair as well, um, you know. And uh, it, I, it, I think um, I think I thought uh, it was awful. I thought it was an awful yeah, game. It was. It it it, it, it was. You know. Uh, and and, and I, if I'm brutally honest, I I was channel flicking when that game was on. I was just not interested in the slightest, to be honest. I. Uh, uh, I was keeping up with the score, but I I I wasn't interested in in keeping my eyes fixated on the game. Um, you know, you, you had the the um, the um, qualifying finals, the um, the one v four and two v three. Geez, there, there, there were two blowout scores, and you know, it, I know going into into the semis, both Penrith and the Broncos are are, are, are the two outstanding candidates, given that they both finished on the same amount of points. Um, and it obviously went down to the last uh, round to determine the minor premiers, but they look leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the competition at the minute. And it kind of feels like a fair comply that they will be the grand finalists. And uh, again, I've got to be honest, gents, you know, um, it, it kind of feels like a, a very weak um, uh, final series um, that, that that's ultimately going to play out here. Yeah, I'll be very surprised if the bookies favorites aren't the results that ultimately unfold. And look, I know that it's it's a bit rich for us to say, given um, you know we didn't have a great end of year and ultimately missed out in the finals. But you kind of wonder if the Rabbitohs, Eels, and Cowboys um, happen to be there, whether some of these um, games might have been a little bit more tight. Or you know, because the reason I bring them up because you know, you you got um, 
they're, they're preliminary finalists from last year and, and certainly provided a much better final spectacle over the course of the final series than the likes of the, the, the Raiders, Sharks, Knights, um, Roosters, and, um, and, and dare I say what um, the, the Warriors and Storm put up against, um, against their opponents. So, you know, um, yeah, look, I've well, been, maybe, maybe been... sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say much has been made about the Eels in the past, about the Eels' finals record and what the Sharks have won, one of nine, one of their last nine finals appearances, I believe. Yeah, it's it's not a good record. And you know, to be perfectly honest, they didn't have a better opportunity to win a finals game than they did against the Roosters. Yeah, they were um, injury ravaged. They had a player in the thin bin. They had all the running with attack. And I know Blake Braley had a moment where he, um, he went the wrong side <laughs> of the ruck. But, you know, it, it was... It was prime opportunity in front of a home crowd for Nico Hines to um, to stand up and make a statement. And, you know, uh, Mitchell Moses was much maligned for supposedly not doing that. And, um, you know, I, I think we remember that um, elimination semi that we played against Newcastle um, a couple of years ago where he took the game by the scruff of the neck and absolutely said, I'm the man, give me the ball. Um, score that great solo try, stamp his authority on that game, and and we all, you know, the scoreline suggested it was a little bit closer than um, what the game actually felt and how it unfolded. He dominated that game and really asserted himself as a, a player of, of finals football caliber. And you know, Nico Hines had the same opportunity on um, uh, on Saturday night, just wasn't able to do um, do that and. You know, the, the, the talk that the Eels have um, had experienced much up until those moments uh, and much up until Mitch had taken um, the opportunity to assert himself, you know, doesn't seem to be following the Sharks around as much as it, as it, as it did our Parramatta boys. John, just given the standard of finals football, is it fair to say that the Broncos-Panthers grand final looks a certainty at this stage? Oh, I mean, I feel like you'd be a crazy man or woman to be betting against it. Uh, like you said, it feel, or quit, Quinn said it was like a fair comply. There's a sense of inev- inevitability about it, isn't there? Like, they're the two best teams by some margin. And, and again, not to pump our own tyres up, given how poorly we finish the season, but it really feels like we were the, probably the only team, and maybe the Rabbitohs, um, that mm. could have could have challenged. And the Rabbitohs obviously had plenty of internal issues that have come to the forefront since, and the Eels... Well, they even if they'd gotten to the finals, they would have been without Quinton Gufferson and, and probably without Mitchell Moses for at least a game. So there, there was no real way they were going to be able to uh, challenge. But, yeah, it, they're, they're by far the two best teams in the competition. And it's not just that. It feels like the other teams have all, are all punching above their weight right now, Newcastle, obviously, uh, but the Warriors too. Um, and the Roosters who have, you know, they've been nearly as hot as Newcastle, not not as hot, but now have, you know, just an absolute litany of injuries. So if they win this week, it'd be incredible, um, let alone getting into the grand final. And yeah, I don't know. It just, it feels like a disproportionately weighted uh, season with the the Roosters, the Roosters, the Broncos and the Panthers being by far the best teams. And I, I think Brisbane can challenge Penrith when it comes to that one game. Mm. Um, I know they beat them earlier in the season, but that was like round one or round two. And there's a lot of, lot of change since then, but now, the Broncos have got a very good team. They've got a lot of tough players and a lot of electric players headlined by Reese Walsh. And yeah, I, I just don't see the other teams getting close to them. I think the the Warriors' best chance to get to a grand final was, and I know that was somewhat out of their hands if Johnson being injured, was playing Johnson in that first week and getting the week off. Um, you know, obviously that 
the football gods thought otherwise of him having the injury. Uh, but I thought, I, for me, I felt like for them to do that, they needed the the week uh, off now. And yeah, I just I don't know if they've got the same. Uh, when Parramatta did it last year after losing the Penrith, um, they you look at the rest of the field and, and the way Parramatta played the game, and it, it really felt like only Penrith really were the the problem. Like I know the Cowboys pushed us hard up in Queens in, in Townsville. That was the benefit of having a home game there for them, but. In terms of like pure, like can we take them? It was really only Penrith, and you look at the rest of those teams, and all the ones below those two top two are kind of in the same field, and they're definitely two sets behind the the top two. So yeah, I can't see anything but those two on grand final day. Yeah, um, and we also have um, those number of teams. You you touched on the injury to. Sean Johnson, you've got the injuries to both the Storm and the Roosters. You have to think that um, it, it almost makes it an impossible task for some of those clubs. And we've just had news come through as we, we record as well that um, Whiten has been found guilty of that biting charge and been suspended for three weeks. Uh, any surprise there, Clint? Is that what you expected? Um, I certainly expected a suspension. I thought it might have been a little bit longer than uh, three weeks. But uh, Jack Byton, as he's now going to find himself affectionately known as when he ends up at the um, at, at South Sydney next year, is probably um, a little bit lucky that it wasn't longer. Um, you know, it's it's normally when an incident is referred directly to the yeah. judiciary, you're expecting over a month suspension. So to end up with three weeks, he um, you know, probably go buy himself a lottery ticket. Incredibly lucky. John, do you think? John, do you think that the um, defence was able to get any um, leverage with their um, claims that he was put into a you know quite a, a severe headlock that uh, forced his uh, his mouth in onto the arm of uh, the the uh, the Knights player, which who was. Um, who is it from memory now? Uh, the the five eight Gamble. I think Gamble. Yeah, oh, that's it. So yeah, Gamble. So the, the the problem with that piece of uh, theoretical physics that they tried to use as a defense is that if he was forcing his arm into his head with that sort of directional force and it was as powerful as it was, it'd be pulling your jaw away, not mm. in. So there'd, there'd be no impetus to be biting on the player. You'd need someone else coming on behind the back of the head to push it back down to be biting or to generate the same sort of force as biting. So, look, I think Jack got caught in a lie and tried to save face. And, look, there's no doubt yeah. that, that Gamble had his hands around there, and it could have been caught a, a grapple tackle. I don't think it was a vicious grapple tackle in the context of, like, the sort of Melbourne Storm era grapple. Uh, but, yeah, look, it's going to follow him. I hope it follows him because biting and eye gouging is something that should be no place for in the game. But in light of that, how do you give a three-week suspension? If he is guilty of, of biting then sit him down for 10 weeks. Mm. Like, mate, again, the, the code has got, it's got, like, you know, asked backwards of the way it hands out punishments. Like, Kennedy Charrington has rubbed out for half a season. Fair enough. I, I, I don't take issue with that in isolation. What I do take issue with is when you see worse tackles in the NRL getting much lesser punishments, relatively speaking, to the duration of the NRL season and stuff like biting and eye gouging being made almost a joke of. Uh, the, the Canberra player that played Origin this year, Hudson Young. You know, how many times did he eye gouge before he copped the suspension? Same thing here with Jack Whiten. You know, 
There, there is no place for this in the game. Stamp like stamp yep. it out. If he is guilty, you cannot give yep. him a three week suspension. So just that that's crazy to me. And uh, yeah, and like Quinn said, hopefully this follows him around because this is something he should have to wear for the rest of his career. Yeah, I, um, I, okay. I might just add to I might just add to that as well, John. Your beautiful description there of um, of, of the physics behind um, the biting motion uh, absolutely uh, echoed shades of magic uh, bullet John F. Kennedy assassination <laughs> theory. There, I think, um, or the magic loogie. If you're a Seinfeld fan listening, um, yeah, I thought it, 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 it just did not make sense that that was an acceptable. It, that, it was um, there. That was like that O.J. Simpson thing, wasn't it? If the glove doesn't fit, you must have quit. It's like the yeah. the, the the grapple, you know, made made him made him bite. No, no, it didn't. Back it, it, into it, the left. It, Back <laughs> into the left. Is that the way Tyson Gamble's? Uh, sorry. Um, uh, Jack Whiten's head twisted. Was it back into the left? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. It probably was actually. Thinking about the replay now, it probably was back into the yeah. left. Lee Harvey yeah. Oswald was actually at the top of the Andrew John stand, and um, it, 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 it was he was the uh, the, the sole reason that uh, that uh, Tyson Gamble's arm was actually, or Jack Whiten's head, I should say, uh, actually moved there. So you know what, um, CIA, you've got a job on your hands now. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay, fellas, we're at the stage now where it's uh, tip time. Uh, we've got the Storm against the Roosters. Two teams hit hard by injury. Uh, quickly, uh, the tips uh, on these. Um, John, first of all, the Storm and the Roosters. Uh, if You know what? If the Roosters hadn't come into this game absolutely whipped by the injury bug, um, I think they were actually a chance here. I think Melbourne have been very substandard. I think that they're mm. there to be beaten, uh, but goodness, like they lost Swali'i, they lost Manu, they lost uh, uh, the poor bloke that's always injured, um, Billy Smith. Is it Billy Smith? Smith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they absolutely cursed, and you know I've got no love for the Roosters, but I, you can't help but feel at least a little bit bad for them uh, in light of what we're seeing. And yeah, I think Melbourne will do it, but I don't have a lot of faith in Melbourne, and I also. Uh, I'm not sure that the winner is making up any sort of weight in the competition from here. Yeah, I mean, here's the the Roosters three quarters. Uh, so you got uh, Palga, Momorowski, Allen, and Barlow. That's their that's their three quarters. Momorowski's a premiership winner. <laughs> yeah. is, is, is he playing his first game of the season? I think so because he had the he had the, ma- he had the massive concussion uh, problems mm. earlier this year. So yeah. Um, uh, so Clint, who are you taking in this one? Oh, <laughs> every day of the week and twice on Sunday, Melbourne. Um, and I don't say that you know as, as John very rightly touched on this. It's not as though they've been in fantastic form themselves. They, they, they're right for the picking. But you know, the fact of the matter is, um, no matter who wins this game, they're going to be cannon fodder for the Panthers next week. So oh, yeah, ab- it's, absolutely. It's, it's just, it, it's it, would, just it would be an all-time upset for whoever gets out of this one to knock over the Panthers. Like, legitimately well, yeah, an all-timer. It, it, it'd, be, it'd be such an all-timer that it's, um, it's an impossibility. Uh, mm. Storm to win this for... For mine, and of course, you've, we also have the uh, Warriors taking on the Knights over there in New Zealand. Uh, John, who's going to win that? Uh, 
This one's... Is it as simple as it revolving around Sean Johnson playing or not playing? Yeah, I think that's going to be a huge part of it. Um, look, Newcastle didn't play good football against the Raiders, and they were lucky to get away with it. Um, yep. Uh, I don't think we're, you know, we're you know, stating anything crazy there. Uh, I do think they can cause the Warriors some problems, though. Um, that loss of the Panthers, Sean Johnson being, you know, under a bit of an injury cloud. I think there's talk that he's going to have it, like they're going to give him until Friday to prove his fitness. Uh, I don't know if they're foxing or if there are, uh, or if there actually are concerns about that injury. Um, yeah, so I I'm going to tip the upset here. I think I imagine it's the upset. I'm I'm going to go with the the Newcastle Knights to win this one, although this is a very difficult game to pick. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure whether that's the upset, especially if Sean Johnson doesn't play. But I'm I'm going to agree with you there, and I'm uh, I'm going to assume Johnson doesn't play, and uh, I'll I'll tip the Knights if, if Sean Johnson does play. I reverse that decision and I take Johnson. Clint, anything different to add? Yeah, I'm exactly the same, gents. The caveat is Johnson and uh, he plays and swings at the Warriors. He doesn't, it swings at Newcastle. But uh, I might just add, um, who at the beginning of this year tipped uh, a week two final yeah, game being played Warriors. in New Zealand with the Warriors against the Knights? Uh, that must have been on no one's NRL bingo card this year. Con- confidence is yeah, everything in this game. Mind. Yeah. The, uh, wasn't the, on, wasn't on mine. Yeah, uh, fellas. I, I do. I I am worried for Newcastle though, in that uh, kind of Ola Parramatta O nine. There's a lot of players for them that are probably going to earn new contracts. That there's a mm. fierce regression to the mean uh, coming next year, and you're going to be end up with uh, you know not you know historically bad contracts, but just guys that probably shouldn't be resigned. Uh, yeah. getting resigned. And and yeah, and I, to that point as well, they're um you know it's. They're 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 not as they're, they're a side that they, they, I guess as you're suggesting there, um, John, that they're, they're, they're probably um, overperforming at the moment, and um, you know I don't I don't see this as the type of form that's sustainable. And their opponents, knowing that they've been capable of this form this year, the, the Knights might have been a side that you weren't uh, as an opposition as up for. Previously, now you know. Now, when you have this type of form, when you win ten in a row, you draw the attention of 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 um, opposition coaches, and they'll they're more likely to get their teams uh, or playing their opposition. The nice this is playing their opposition in an up week. Yeah, look, I I see this, and and I don't mean to disrespect Newcastle with it, but I I do see this as an an anomalous season. Um, Agreed. My early, my early tip would be um, Newcastle don't make finals football next year. But again, there'll be the caveat of um, the draw because mm. the Canberra team should never have made the finals this year. <laughs> they are they are an awful team with an awful um, differential that represents how their season has gone. The Sharks have benefited from. Um, Easier draws as well, and For three seasons uh, now. Yeah, so it's you know that that draw is um, you know it, it it just plays into the hand of of a team or two every year that uh, are able to qualify and probably don't deserve to qualify, and it's normally evident in the uh, performance in the final. Four. And and yeah, like certainly the differential through the season. Well, mm. fellas, that. 
that brings us to the end of uh, our podcast. Uh, just a reminder to our listeners that we will be continuing with the one once a week podcast where we we throw in a little bit of a review, uh, team list Tuesday and preview and news all into one podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and also to Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan, and Parramatta. Um, our thanks as well to all of you for listening. Uh, thank you, John. Thank you, Clint. And uh, let's hope for a big weekend from our two teams that are still competing, the uh, Jersey Flag team in their quest to get into next week's grand final in the Jersey Flag competition and also to the NRLW team in their final match of the season. Um, and what else can I say? But go, you mighty eels. <laughs>